Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood and welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you for joining us today. We're going to continue our series entitled Common Christian Problems because problems are common amongst Christians. Sometimes we don't talk about them about as much as we should. And before we get into today's topic, I'd like to actually go back a little bit to a couple of the topics we dealt with earlier. And the reason is the mental health topics that we dealt with, depression, anxiety, and suicide, has actually become increasingly problematic even since we did those episodes just a few months ago. The National Center for Health Statistics shows that more than four in 10 U.S. adults had developed symptoms, concrete symptoms of depression or anxiety by the end of 2020. This is a sharp increase over just the year before. In other words, the levels of anxiety and depression nearly quadrupled during that first round of the pandemic. We seem to be now, as we're recording this episode, into a second round of the pandemic, and the levels are going up. And in fact, I read this morning, the levels are particularly going up amongst men. And so, again, one of the things I want to emphasize in this series, the fact that you're encountering some problems doesn't make you a bad Christian. It's very common for Christians to have problems and struggle with them. We're trying to find solutions to them. But it's it's really a tactic of the evil one to make you think that you're odd. Uh, nobody else on Facebook has any problems. They're all happy, entirely successful, and don't have a problem in the world. What's wrong with me? Well, it's very common. Now, if you want to revisit the episodes on depression, you can get these via podcast back, uh, say, Spotify or Apple Podcast. Those were episodes 289 to 290, and that was depression and anxiety. And we also dealt with the topic of suicide prevention. And this is something very serious because the the need for this is actually going down in age. It's not just college-age students or even older teens, but it's getting into younger and younger ages as well as the elderly. So the episodes for suicide prevention are 286 to 287. All right, now for the topic today. What's he going to pull this time? <laughs> okay, our topic is alcoholism and alcohol abuse. And this is something that, at least in my experience, isn't talked about too much. I have spoken at Catholic conferences, Catholic family conferences, Catholic fatherhood conferences all over North America, and very frequently, in the course of whatever talk I'm giving, I'm very open not to conference organizing organizers writing my talks, but for suggesting a topic that might be included that's particularly troubling amongst the people that I'll be speaking to. 
but it's, I can't remember ever being asked to speak on alcoholism and alcohol abuse, and yet it's very common. Uh, Depending on the statistics you look at, it varies a little bit, but a serious alcohol problem exists somewhere between one in eight families to one in 12 families, and which either statistic you want to go with, that's serious. That's very serious. We're talking about millions of families just in the U.S. and Canada suffering from this. Now, we add to the everyday, every year alcoholism and alcohol abuse problems, and you couple that with the coronavirus, and you probably have a real good idea of what happens. Well, 52% of those surveyed responded they increased their alcohol intake during the coronavirus pandemic while watching the news. Well, what's the news going to do? It's going to increase your anxiety, stress, maybe depression, and adding alcohol to that is not a winning strategy. Uh, 53% said they increased their alcohol intake during the lockdown, and this is somewhat troubling. 45% of those working at home, and that's a lot of folks right now, had drinks during the working day. And it's reported that online sales of alcohol went up about 200% during the lockdowns. Now, I began today by backing up to those problems of anxiety, depression, and even suicide Uh, very high rates, particularly here in the United States. Well, you add alcohol abuse to the existing problems, mental health problems like anxiety or depression, you're really creating a very bad mix. And even on top of that, you could be jeopardizing your health because too much alcohol isn't good for the vitamin and mineral component of your body, your mineral needs, and particularly alcoholics and alcohol abusers are known to have a vitamin B1 deficiency. Well, guess what? Vitamin, amongst others, is very helpful in warding off the worst effects of the coronavirus, vitamin B1, the one that basically creates a deficiency by having too much alcohol. What else do you take during the coronavirus outbreak to stay healthy besides your vitamin C? Well, you've heard of zinc. Well, but for zinc to have uptake to the body, you need vitamin B1, which is blocked by too much alcohol. So it's not a great time during the coronavirus pandemics to have excessive alcohol consumption. Now let's talk about how alcoholism affects families. In a nutshell, it creates a living hell for families. And very often, they suffer in silence. It's a very odd phenomenon. I read about this, that if there's an alcoholic in a family, for the family to come to the conclusion that some family member is a full-blown alcoholic It takes seven years of the evidence in their home to openly admit it. And I don't know all the mechanisms of why that is true, 
But it is the case. I personally didn't believe that when I read that until I encountered it firsthand while I was a Protestant pastor. And not only that, the seven years to come to the realization, to openly admit it, it takes another two years to actually take the step to reach out and make a contact with a source of help. Nine years total. And when you have any addiction and you let it go on for nine years, it gets really tough on whoever you reach out to to try to reverse that problem rather than taking action to deal with it in its initial stages. Now, not only does alcohol create a living hell for the family in which an alcoholic lives, and that goes for alcohol abusers as well, but alcoholism can create some very long-term tragedies in family life. I've been administering for several years an instrument called the Taylor-Johnson Temperament Analysis. It's one of uh, a handful of very good pre-engagement instruments that basically shows where your strengths are and where your weaknesses may be in trying to form a relationship. And the unique part of the Taylor Johnson is that the potential wife and the potential husband both take it and then they take it on each other to see how well each other knows each other. And then you do a crisscross so that, for instance, certain combinations in a potential spouse, when combined with that person they're thinking of marrying, could create huge problems. So in any case, I recently gave the Taylor Johnson temperament analysis to a very sweet, committed young Catholic woman and a young man that she was considering marrying. And it was a very difficult job, even for me, going through and seeing that this would appear to be, and she was, a very wonderful young Catholic woman, but her her relationship skills were all over the place and all kinds of potential problems were just leaping off the page. And we were going through this uh, together and basically I, I almost had to stop the thing. I said, well, what what is going on here? And what was going on is that she grew up with an alcoholic Catholic father. And now she's at that threshold of marriage and all that turbulence from the alcoholism in the family was affecting her ability to form a solid marriage relationship. And probably I'm letting a little bit out of the bag here, but a good instrument like this, and there's, there's a handful of them. I wrote, wrote about three of them, I believe it was, in my ABCs of Choosing a Good Husband, ABCs of Choosing a Good Wife books. But it fishes out if there's any thoughts of self-harm or suicide, and she had that as well. So alcoholism is not just a personal problem. It's not just an immediate family problem, but it's the future of your family problem. And yet it's something that you hardly ever hear about. 
if you hear about in homilies, a lot of times it's the form of a polite joke, but you don't get the idea that this is a mortal sin, drunkenness, and that something should be repented of and it should not be tolerated in our midst. Let me tell you an experience I had, Catholic family conference, knowing that my guess, at least one out of 10 families present at a Catholic family conference would be having alcohol problems. So I had a book entitled Dying for a Drink, one of the better Christian books written by a evangelical physician who started the Vanderbilt University Medical Center uh, Alcohol Rehab Center. So I had it on my book table, and a wife came up to me and said, can I talk to you a minute? In a very hushed tone, she said, you wouldn't believe how many people at this conference have problems with alcohol. And she was pointing to the book. And I said, I don't know if I whispered or not, but I said, I know, that's why I brought the books. But it's it's a whispered about topic. We don't talk about it. Um, I don't know, it just came to me now. When's the last time you heard anybody, even on Catholic radio, talking about alcoholism? And sometimes we just take it for so granted that it's maybe not a problem that we don't really think about those having problems. I was at a conference, and I won't say where, but it was in a town that, you know, had a big beer brewery. And we were holding a men's conference in a fellowship hall that was immediately attached to the kitchen. There was a wall there, and then, you know, you could pass the food through and such. And in the wall were at least uh, two taps for kegs behind that wall. I mean, that was just part of the social life of the parish. And, you know, I drink beer. I don't have a problem with people drinking beer. But I do wonder about those one in 10, one in eight, one in 12, you pick the number, it's, it's high, who have problems, the people in our midst. And if I'm going out with somebody who I know has a problem with alcohol, I'll gladly abstain. No problem whatsoever. And yet, you know, recently, and again, this is during the coronavirus, which is the worst time to hit the bottle, if you ask me. This is just like asking for it. Because on top of all the problems I've already mentioned, you can even have financial stresses. And it just it's a real bad time to start excessive alcohol drinking. But I got multiple emails from a Catholic group promoting whiskey tasting as a fundraiser. Now, I wrote to the group and I mentioned such a thing. Do you know there's such a thing as a trigger? Now, a trigger is something that if you're trying to get over an addiction, um, if it might be drugs, it might be pornography, it might be an addiction to alcohol, and you know, you're going along great, and then something triggers uh, your mind to kind of fixate on wanting to get the drug, view the porn, or get the alcohol. And just an example, this is one of the things you used to do in the old days. It doesn't apply anymore because um, pornography addictions are generally all online. But in the old days, it was dirty magazines. And guys would be on their way home and stop at a certain store and get their porn magazines. Now, 
when they got to the point they wanted to be done with that porn habit, that porn addiction, sometimes it was necessary for them to take a different route home. So they wouldn't even go past that store. So you wouldn't have to have the trigger. And Catholics unknowingly are putting triggers in front of people, and I dare say in a very insensitive fashion, okay? Now, I'm going to talk about a topic <laughs> that I don't think has ever been talked about on Catholic radio. And if you've heard about it, I mean, I could be wrong, could easily be wrong. I mean, I don't listen to Catholic radio 24-7, but, but here, here is a combination of topics you generally don't hear put together. And I'm talking about alcohol abuse and apologetics. We think that we just have to have all the right answers for our Protestant friends when they have their objections to Catholicism and then all is well. That's really not the case because, as most of you know, your life has a certain message and your lifestyle and the way you conduct yourself or don't conduct yourself speaks perhaps a lot louder than your arguments in defending the faith, or at least it's the first thing out there. And there's a very big obstacle amongst those Catholics, not everybody, of course, but too much drunkenness accepted amongst Catholic circles and becomes a terrible witness. Right down the street from me, about a mile from where I'm speaking to you, is Bob Jones University. It's one of the U.S. centers for fundamentalist Protestantism in the entire country. And um, by the way, they're very nice people. They've always been kind to me. Bob Jones University sponsored a seminar on drug abuse, and they were bringing experts in from all over the country. They were bringing law enforcement uh, in, people working in rehab, and uh, government officials. So I thought, well, here's a resource a mile from me. I might as well go down there and learn. And the opening talk during this conference was given by a young professor who was the chairman of the counseling department. And he got up and basically gave his testimony of growing up in a Catholic family, that all he knew, and this was started you know, well before he was of legal drinking age, is that in the basement of his Catholic home, he had a man cave, and they watched football. And to watch football, they got drunk, the whole male side of the family. And that's just the way it was. When he got to high school and college, he got uh, DUIs. He was arrested. He totaled a car. He was messing up his life. And a bunch of evangelicals got a hold of him, helped him get away from the life of alcohol. Now, that was one family who really needed to be called out and also needed to be offered assistance. But I can guarantee you, you could give that young professor 100 of the fantastic Scott Hahn CDs, and you're not going to change his mind about Catholicism until something changes in the common practice of Catholics accepting alcohol abuse, not calling it out, not trying to help people, and just being too silent about it. Here's an interesting quote on temperance, which is a good word. It's become a bad word in American dictionary since the temperance movement. And the temperance movement 
actually wasn't a temperance movement. It was a total abstinence movement, and that's not what I'm advocating. Temperance is having a right balance in life. And this is from St. Jose Maria Escriva in his excellent book, Friends of God. He says this, quote, temperance is a sign of the genuineness of the Christian life, and it is something that attracts and wins over all naturally noble people, unquote. Well, that's a chapter for your apologetics folder or book or whatever, alcohol abuse and apologetics. You need to deal with that because temperance is a sign of genuineness. It's something that attracts. It's something that wins over. Now, I need to emphasize that uh, what I'm saying today and others advocating like uh, Jose Escriva, that moderate use of alcohol is a blessing. Uh, The Bible says in Psalm 104, talking about God, you do cause the grass to grow for the cattle and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth. Food is a good. And next verse, and wine to gladden the heart of man and bread to strengthen man's heart. This is part of God's provision for all things good. Now, we live in this state of uh, history with a certain unbalanced nature to ourselves in that we can take good things that God has created and take it to such excess that it's sinful or pervert it in some way, again, that it's sinful. So that's why the Bible, besides saying moderate use of alcohol is a divine blessing, also has warnings. In Proverbs chapter 20, and verse 1, it says, wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. And I've shared this several times on the radio. I'm laughing nervously, but it was just an experience of a lifetime when I was stationed in Guantanamo, Cuba, on the Navy base, and we were told that we were Uh, not to come back by ourselves to the ship at night because there wasn't a whole lot to do down there. Here the communists were, you know, I don't know, a few hundred yards away from us, and yet the Marines and the Navy were beating each other to a pulp after drinking all night. And it was just odd that here we are facing down, there are Russian ships down there, communists (laughs) few hundred yards away, and here U.S. servicemen are beating each other to a pulp because wine is a mocker and strong drink a brawler. And you talk to a law enforcement officer. When does uh, spousal abuse, physical abuse skyrocket? When people are drinking a lot, particularly men. Um, They express their anger physically, and it's very easy to come out when you've had too much to drink. Proverbs 23 and verse 29 says, who has woe, who has sorrow, who has strife, who has complaining? Those who tarry long over wine, those who try to drink mixed wine. In other words, 
you want a very unhappy family situation, woe, sorrow, strife, complaining. That's what alcohol abuse and alcoholism will do. There is a section of scripture in the book of Sirach, and the book of Sirach was used by the early church to teach pagans how to live as Christians. Because remember, the early converts to the Catholic Church were pagans. They were converting the pagan empire, and they used the book of Sirach to teach them how to live practically as Christians in the midst of a pagan empire. And this is from Sirach 31, starting in verse 25, and it's great advice. And you have both sides here, that Alcohol is a blessing if used in moderation and warnings about its abuse. It starts off with, do not aim to be valiant over wine, for wine has destroyed many. Wine is like life to men if you drink it in moderation. And what is life to a man who is without wine? It has been created to make men glad. Wine, drunk in season and temperately, is rejoicing of heart and gladness of soul. Wine drunk to excess is bitterness of soul with provocation and stumbling. Drunkenness increases the anger of a fool to his injury, reducing his strength and adding wounds. That was Sirach 31 verses 25 through 30. To me, the perfectly balanced scripture of both having the warnings against going to the excess and the divine blessings of use in moderation. And one thing I want to close with, and it's there's a big question out there, you know, how do you discipline children and do you use physical forms of discipline? And one of the reasons, personally, I think a lot of people have just enormous reaction to any type of physical discipline is that they have been disciplined by a parent, especially a dad, who's had too much to drink. You should never discipline a child if you had too much to drink. Again, because men tend to express themselves in anger and do it physically when they've had too much to drink, and that's not the way to discipline a child. We're going to talk a little bit more about next time, some alternatives, how to get free from all this, and also how it affects families for the long term. But for now, I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 322 of Faith and Family Radio. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org.